Welcome to the Sandy Springs United Methodist Church Podcast, where we bring you weekly sermons that uplift your soul, strengthen your spirit, and praise the Lord. Whatever your reason for listening, we're grateful for you spending your time with us. May God open your heart to love and your ears to hear. Please remain standing for the reading of the gospel. Our lesson this morning is from Matthew chapter 5. Listen for the word of God. Our ears are open. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evildoer. But if anyone strikes you on the right cheek, turn the other also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your coat, give your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go also the second mile. Give to everyone who begs from you, and do not refuse anyone who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your excuse me, and if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Please be seated. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. When I was a junior in college, I had the opportunity to study in Spain. I was in Sevilla in southern Spain, that beautiful part of Andalusia. And one of my goals was for this to be a real immersion experience. So to be with locals, live with locals, really try to understand what it was like to be one of them uh, versus just a tourist in and out. Um, to try to fit in as much as I could. Now, for a 20-year-old blonde girl from Texas, I still stuck out like a sore thumb. Um, But I I wanted to really see what it was like to be part of that culture as best I could. A central part of that time was living with a Spanish family. Um, So I lived in a flat with a mom and dad, uh, Maria and Jose, their two children, Jennifer and Alejandro. They had a little dog, Pepe. Um, I also had an American roommate named Amanda. We had our own room with bunk beds. I was on the top bunk. One of the ways that they, um, they had students in and out, and one of the ways they wanted to make Americans feel comfortable is that the bed sheets and bedspread were covered with pictures of the characters from Beverly Hills 90210. <laughs> so every night I drifted off to sleep and I had Kelly and Brandon and Dylan, you know, tucking me in. <laughs> It is a really curious thing to join another family for a period of time to enter into unfamiliar rhythms and customs and dynamics. Maria fixed us three meals a day, right? So there's no choice about what you eat or when you eat. 
I was really nervous because at the time I didn't eat red meat, and of course pork is a staple in the Spanish diet. I practiced all across the Atlantic on that plane how to say I don't eat red meat in Spanish. And the first night I thought I confidently said it to Maria, she nodded her head back. The next night I got a big plate of jamón ham for dinner. I just politely ate it and then tried again. The biggest hurdle for me was the language. I'd taken Spanish all the way through elementary school, high school, college, uh, grew up in Texas, so sort of surrounded by the sounds of Spanish. But I was by no means fluent in trying to understand everything that everyone said and communicate who I am and what my needs are only in Spanish was a real challenge. You know, I already felt like an outsider in the family, and then that inability to communicate is really hard. It was a struggle day in and day out. Gives you real empathy for people who come to this country not knowing the language and what it means to try to build a life here. Well, about two months into my time there, I had a vivid dream that I still remember. I drifted off, you know, on Kelly and Dylan there. And I fell asleep, and then my dream was that I was sitting in that bedroom at the desk working on my homework that I'd had that day, and I hear from the living room that the family, Maria, Jose, Jennifer, Alejandro, they are speaking to each other in pitch-perfect English. I run out of the bedroom. I'm at first angry that they've been keeping this from me for two months, that we could have been communicating with each other um, in ways that we hadn't. Um, but then I was also mostly just relieved. I thought, oh, I can just breathe. We can just communicate with each other. Of course, then I woke up, um, and they still spoke less English than I spoke Spanish. But that was 16 years ago, and I still remember that dream and those feelings that I had. And if I'm honest, right, sometimes we still have those dreams that everyone around us, if they could just see me and understand me, if I could just communicate, if they could just communicate in the ways that I want, everything would be better. And if we're honest, it's a dream that pervades our culture right now. Wouldn't it be great if we all spoke the same language, literal and metaphorical, so that we could communicate better? Wouldn't it be great if we all ate the same food as a vegetarian? That would make me happy so that the only offering isn't some sad salad greens on a buffet. Wouldn't it be great if we just all voted the same way? What if I voted the same way as my father so we could avoid those nasty political debates or avoid the awkward silence that comes when we know we're avoiding the nasty political debates? It can feel in our country right now, like even if we're speaking the same actual language, that we're really speaking different languages. Red states and blue states and MSNBC and Fox News, rural versus urban. We shore up ourselves and our ideological bunkers, so certain our language, our language, is the right one, the only right one, that sometimes it feels like we've stopped trying to talk to each other. It feels like we're stuck, and we get angry about it. Well, today, Jesus breaks in, like he often does, with a gentle two-by-four over the head, and continues to preach to us about what it means to be in relationship with each other. This is the third week now that we find Jesus continuing to preach in his famous Sermon on the Mount. We encounter him this morning as he continues to teach his followers what it means 
to be a disciple, what it means to live into the kingdom of God here and now and in the life to come. He's moved through the Beatitudes, blessed are the poor and the meek and those who mourn. Last week he said, you are salt of the earth, you are light of the world. And today he's talking about how we love each other, especially how we love those who feel really hard to love those we consider our enemies. This is a long sermon he's preaching, but they're hanging in with him. They're still listening. He starts off with the law of the Hebrew Bible that says, you have heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evildoer with evil. Now, it can be easy for us with modern ears all these years later to judge that saying, an eye for an eye. But actually, at the time, it was meant to be a just law because it was far more compassionate than the civil laws and customs of the day. So the whole point of instituting an eye for an eye is to make sure that the punishment matched the crime and wasn't excessive. So if somebody knocked out somebody else's teeth, they couldn't be stoned to death. It was meant to be kind of an equal reciprocal kind of punishment. It was a law instituted for fairness. And when you think about it that way, it seems fair. And it seems like Jesus should just be okay with that law. But he takes it further and he says, we don't resist evil with evil, even what feels like proportionate evil. And then he says, you have heard it said that you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Love your enemies and pray for them. It's kind of amazing to me that his disciples kept listening to this sermon. I imagine by this point, some of them might have been tempted to just run right off that mountain. But there they are, they're listening, they're paying attention, they're trying to figure out what this means for their lives. Because it is easy to experience God and the people we love, the people we like, and the relationships that we choose. You know this, this is a good way to experience God. God's love, God's peace, God's presence in the world manifests itself in others, and that's a beautiful way to know God. But Scripture doesn't let us stop there. Jesus is clear that that love has got to extend beyond just those that we like and that we love. Because there are a lot of people that are hard to love. They may be strangers, politicians, or celebrities. They may be people we know, family members, co-workers. I hope not fellow church members, but sometimes that happens. And what happens to you when you start to think of people, groups of people, strangers, people you know that you don't like so much? If I see on a screen a picture of a politician I disagree with, I can feel my whole body stiffen up. I start to say words that aren't safe for church under my breath. Sometimes I yell them out, depending on whether my kids are there. If it's a family member that I'm irritated with, I find that my mind immediately goes not just to this one thing that feels frustrating, but to all the things over the years that they've done, uh, so that to me, instead of a person, they just become a list of all of their worst moments. This is the challenge scripture has for us today. How do we channel that beautiful, unconditional love that God has for us and that love that we freely share with those that are closest to us? How do we do that out in the world? How do we bridge that divide so that we aren't just 
speaking past each other or stop speaking to each other at all? How do we start to learn each other's languages so that we realize however challenging that might be, we're all on the same human team? I'm a big fan of Brene Brown. She's a social researcher who's done powerful work on vulnerability and shame. She had a TED Talk that went viral on vulnerability. Um, She's written multiple books. And at the root of her work is how we can be more deeply connected to ourselves and to each other. One of her most recent books is called Braving the Wilderness, The Quest for True Belonging and the Courage to Stand Alone. Um, So she says in this book, her basic thesis is both, we got to figure out how to connect more deeply with each other, especially across these divides that we begin to build up. But in the midst of that, we've also got to be able to say, I love you and I'm with you in this and I'm in relationship, but I'm also willing to hold on to what I believe and know to be true. That's the courage to stand alone in the midst of others. She argues that we are in a period of profound spiritual disconnection. This probably doesn't come as a surprise to you. We're disconnected from each other. Loneliness is at an all-time high in this country. And as we know, when we are disconnected from others, we start to be disconnected from God. Interestingly, too, she notes that we are also in a period with this heightened loneliness And also, her studies have shown, we are in a period, more than any other, of only interacting with people who are mostly like us. So that in this time, we live in communities that are segregated by race and class and even political affiliation. So we spend our time in communication with folks who speak our same language, literally, metaphorically. And yet, even though we're starting to live in these kinds of communities, it doesn't help us with our loneliness. Turns out being with people who are a lot like us, who speak the same language, it's not making us any happier. In fact, we're lonelier than ever. And when we begin to be estranged from others, we begin to be estranged from God. So what do we do about all this? I don't have a magic formula, but we do have these this sermon from Jesus, these years and years, these centuries of wisdom. This is what Jesus does. He touches lepers who were seen by his society as unclean. Lepers were the enemies, and he literally leans in, and he places a hand of healing love on their skin. One day he decides he's going to meet a Samaritan woman at the well, Samaritans were foreigners and they were non-Jews. He was not supposed to go there or give them the time of day, but he actually travels to Samaria. He encounters a woman who is by herself at the well, presumably because she wasn't married and it was taboo for her to be living with the man she was living with, so she had to go to that well by herself because she was ostracized from society. Jesus was not supposed to go anywhere near her for a myriad of reasons. But not only does he go to her, he encounters her, he sees her, he sees her as a child of God, and then he instructs her, of all people, this foreign woman who is shunned by her own society, he says, you, you and you go and spread this good news of who I am, that I am living water sent from God. You go and spread the good news of the gospel. 
He goes to have lunch at the house of Zacchaeus, who's a despised government worker. He's a tax collector who takes advantage of the people in his community. And Jesus says, I'm going to your house for lunch today. He has a meal with Zacchaeus. And of course, Jesus' disciples are fishermen. We talked about this a few weeks ago. They weren't the educated religious leaders of the day. They're not from Jerusalem or the seat of power. They were rural fishers in an insignificant town. I could go on and on. You could probably add your own stories of the ways that Jesus is so willing to cross boundaries of language, literal and metaphorical, to be in relationship with all of God's people. And you know the transformation that happened when he did that. A really difficult command of Jesus is this one, that we pray for our enemies. The church I grew up in, St. John's United Methodist Church in Lubbock, Texas, they took this command seriously. They actually, in the service, every single week after the Lord's Prayer, had a moment where we prayed for our enemies. There we would sit in the cold, hard pew, imagining those that we considered our enemies. That may be a whole group of people, it may be a particular person we were thinking about, somebody we hated or who had hurt us, who made us stiffen up in body and soul when we thought about them. And we had to sit there in the silence every single week, every single year of my growing up, and imagine that person as a beloved child of God, a person with desires and hopes, with wounds and pains, with loved ones and good intentions. It is a regular practice that can't help but shape you, and I'll tell you, it's, I don't do that anymore every week as an adult, um, but I'm trying to have that built in as a spiritual practice because it is transformational. Now, I do want to be clear that in situations where people have abused us or deny our very humanity for whatever reason, it's also critical to keep good boundaries. Loving our brothers and our sisters does not mean that we let, let them keep hurting us or we jump too quickly to forgetting or even forgiving. When we're in some kind of abusive relationship, the most loving thing we can do is to take care of our own belovedness that's a gift from God, remove ourselves from that situation. Praying for somebody who has hurt us is not the same as letting them hurt us. And actually letting someone continue to hurt us or enabling somebody else's poor behavior, whether it's harming themselves or others, that's not real love either, of letting them live into the fullness of their identity and belovedness in God. Jesus isn't neutral on matters of justice. He doesn't say we just pray for everybody and everything's okay. He fights against systems and people that hurt others. And he calls on his followers to do the same. Faith and the love of God is not about ignoring wrongdoing or being a doormat. There's a place for righteous anger and justice. But Jesus' point here is that we cannot let hate and dehumanization take over our hearts because that is what leads to violence, proportional violence and disproportional violence. It's what led people to discount Samaritans, whole hog, as foreigners who didn't have anything to offer the world. It's the same forces of hate and marginalization that pushed lepers off to the side so that they couldn't even participate in society. It's the kind of thinking that led Jesus to be killed on a cross 
that dehumanization of who he was so much that his life was worth killing. Jesus resisted all of this, but he did it without hate in his heart, even for the people who killed him. Now, none of us are Jesus, so we're not going to love that perfectly. But we can try to get hate out of our hearts, hate that, would, that makes the world a violent and dangerous and a difficult place to live in. And we can work to make our world a more loving place, a place that more closely resembles the kingdom that Jesus came to bring, that he's preaching about throughout this whole Sermon on the Mount. So as we close here, I'm going to take a few moments and we're going to practice right here, right now, praying for our enemies. So you can imagine whether that's a group of people or a specific person or some people, maybe someone that you feel like you hate or causes you to stiffen up in body and soul when you think of them. Begin to imagine that person or persons as a beloved child of God with desires and hopes, wounds and pain, loved ones. So I invite you to close your eyes. Take a deep breath in and out. And pray for your enemies. Take a deep breath in and a deep breath out. I'm going to commit to make this a more regular part of my spiritual practice, and I hope that you will consider doing the same. Jesus closes this section by saying, Be perfect, therefore, as God is perfect. Be a people who pray for everybody, pray for their good, see the humanity in them. Be perfect, therefore, as God is perfect. Live, work, and pray for that day when the lion shall lay down with the lamb, when we beat our swords into plowshares and our spears into pruning hooks, for that great day when all shall be one, for the kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. Be perfect, therefore, as God is perfect. May it be so. Amen. As you go this morning, go with this blessing. Leave this place knowing and believing that you are a beloved child of God, and so is everybody else. May we be a people who heed Jesus' commandment to love our enemies and to pray for them. Go forth with his peace, his challenge, and his good news. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Sandy Springs United Methodist Church Podcast. We hope that you have found our podcast helpful 
and hope to be in ministry not only to you, but with you. For more information about Sandy Springs United Methodist Church, please visit www.ssumc.org. Until next time, may God bless you.